This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Felicia Kukura. Felicia had a career in business and technology, previously an engagement manager at McKinsey & Company, and later she went on to be the first employee, head of user experience, and director of business development at Funders Club, a leading online venture capital firm. But to Felicia, this was all graduate school for becoming a founder herself. She was first introduced to the world of child welfare many years ago when her sister adopted two children. She later began volunteering as a court-appointed special advocate for foster youth in San Francisco. Through these experiences and coming from a tech background, she saw a lot of opportunity where technology could improve the outcomes of families and children in the foster care and adoption world. And this is when she co-founded Binti. She's been dedicated to this mission ever since. And she is doing so much. Not only is she the CEO of Binti, she's a co-lead of the Female Founder Office Hours as part of All Rays and an active angel investor. This is an amazing woman who is executing on amazing missions across the board and supporting not only the youth in these systems and families, but also women who are looking to raise and change the world. This is an amazing episode. I loved it. You're going to love it too. Let's dive in. Felicia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk more about your story. Not only are you a startup founder yourself, but you're really active in the venture world and supporting female founders. So there's so much to unpack here. Tell me kind of where you started because you got went to school for business and then started working in the business world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I studied business undergrad. I actually worked at McKinsey doing management consulting for a few years And then I moved to Silicon Valley and I was the first employee at an early stage startup, actually slept on an air mattress on the floor (laughs) for a few months of the founders. That was a great experience. I worked there for a year and a half and it was a great just introduction to Silicon Valley. I met a lot of founders I was able to learn from. And then I quit to start my own company, Binti. Okay. So I have a bunch of questions already. What exactly is a business analyst? It sounds super fancy. What do you do? When I was at McKinsey, business yeah, analyst. What, is, what does that job mean? So at McKinsey, we consulted for Fortune 500 companies, but also government agencies, which led me to be familiar with government, which ended up being helpful at Binti. Yeah. And they would hire us to do different projects, such as we want to do a reorganization of our company, or we want to figure out how to price our product, or we're thinking about acquiring this other company and want to see if it's the right idea. And then we would do a few-month project to help them think through that issue. And we're senior people on the team Mm -hmm. that had a lot of experience with that industry, et cetera. And as an analyst, you're right out of school and you're doing things like Excel spreadsheets and, you know, analyzing numbers and working really closely with the more senior people to help analyze the the problem. Mm -hmm. But it was actually a great experience because 
every few months you're working on a different problem in a different industry. So you just get really good at like onboarding to new ideas really quickly and then asking enough questions to understand it well enough to form an opinion on things. That's really cool. So you have this job that is always changing. You're learning a lot. You're solving Mm -hmm. problems. How did you find this startup or this startup found you and then you mm-hmm. moved and took this big risk? Why? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I always looked at management consulting as sort of grad school. I didn't want to do it long term. I always had in my mind I wanted to start a company from a pretty young age somehow. Okay. And so I actually left McKinsey to start my own company. I, I had an idea related to gifting, which is not a passion of mine, but it was just my first idea. And I worked on it for a few months and I realized that I had so much to learn. And so then I decided to pause that and go work at an early stage company. And the startup I found, I had gone to college with one of the founders and he had previously started another company that had some level of success. So I thought I could learn from him and they had just gotten into Y Combinator And so I just told him, I was like, Hey, I just want to learn, you know, I'll work for free for a month. I'll do anything. I'm a fast learner. I'm really smart. And I just like kind of gave my pitch and he was like, okay, okay, fine. Like (laughs) I'll let you work for free. And he paid me a small amount, but that month turned into a year and a half because I was just learning a lot and I was adding value and and it was a great experience. It sounds like such a cool experience and not only like a risk, a risk that you were like, I'm going to work for free. Like teach me everything. That is so cool. Did you have any big takeaways from that experience working at the ground level? (laughs) Yeah, so so many, so many. Well, first of all, I got to watch the founders raise money. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they raised a seed round. The startup I I was the first employee at was Funders Club. Mm -hmm. For those people who don't know, it's like an online venture capital firm. And so we would vet startups and then we'd say, hey, I really believe in this startup. And then we would form a fund that invests particularly in that startup. And we would let investors invest in the fund and we'd put it on our website. So it's sort of similar to crowdfunding, but not exactly crowdfunding. And then people could learn about the startup, invest as little as $3,000 into the fund that invests in the startup. So we're trying to democratize access to investing in startups, but also give founders like a, you know, a founder friendly investor. So I got to learn from a lot of other founders through that process because I met probably over a thousand founders. We invested in hundreds of them. I got to hear their pitch, hear their idea, but then also see how it was going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them ended up being super successful. We invested in Coinbase and Instacart seed round while I was there. But then we also invested in a bunch of companies that failed very quickly and like they had co-founder breakups and then some that were in the middle. So I just feel like I learned so much from watching those founders. What an experience. That's crazy. So you ended up leaving there to start your own company. What was the catalyst for that? Yeah. So I always looked at joining there as, again, sort of like grad school to start my own company. And so when I felt like I had learned enough to do that, I wanted to leave. And so I made a list of the problems I care most about in the world. And this was number one, because my sister had adopted two children. And it was just a really difficult, complicated, stressful process. There's a shortage of families to foster and adopt. And the outcomes on what happens to children who age out of foster care are really sad. So there's over 400,000 children in foster care. 50% will be homeless at some point in their life. And 50% will have experience with the criminal justice system by the time they're 17. 
and the majority of sexually trafficked youth are current or former foster youth. And my sister had adopted years prior to this, but it always stuck in the back of my mind that it just doesn't make sense. You know, children are having these terrible outcomes. There's a shortage of families and it's so hard to become a family. So that was number one on my list. And then I think I had other things like nutrition and just like all over the place, you know, different areas that I cared about. But yeah, I decided to try to make a company out of my number one problem. Okay. So, I mean, that's definitely a big problem, but it's also a very complicated Mm -hmm. one. Was there a Mm -hmm. simple solution? How were you going to solve this? Yeah. So, you know, when I first thought about it, I wasn't sure if, you know, a tech company could solve the problem because, I don't know, it just seems like it's just a government, nonprofit, bureaucratic space. Mm-hmm. And actually, originally, I didn't solve the problem correctly. And I made too many assumptions. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just launch this and people will use it. And I first started it as a consumer company trying to help families like my sister navigate an adoption. And I was able to raise a pre-seed. So raise a few hundred thousand from angels. Then I raised a $2 million seed and I grew the team to six people. And we helped a couple hundred families. But ultimately, we weren't solving the root of the problem because government agencies control the whole process okay. of fostering and adopting. And we were kind of holding people's hand through a process we didn't control. Okay, And so I made the really hard decision of letting go of the team. My co-founder left during the pivot. It got back to just me after over two years. Wow. And yeah, that was definitely the low point. And then I spent four months just kind of going back to the basics. I shadowed the county of San Francisco's child welfare team for four months and just shadowed and interviewed their social workers and their families and just tried to understand their process. And that's when things started to really make sense in terms of how to actually approach the problem. And then I sort of rebuilt the company from there. That is amazing. And like, what a cool way to really get in there. I mean, talk about just research into the problem. So what did you learn? And as you were kind of building things back up, how was the company pivoting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I learned was, first of all, you know, my sister's experience was really the tip of the iceberg. So adopting a child is actually the last resort in child welfare. The first goal is, you know, when someone calls in and there's a report to the child abuse hotline or neglect hotline, most calls are actually about neglect. And there's a family that's struggling. Maybe there's substance abuse or mental health issues or homelessness or different things. And the first goal is actually, how do you give services to help that family stay together and thrive in the first place? And there's teams of people doing that. And then if that's not possible and you need to separate the child temporarily and place them in a foster family, how can you give services to help them reunify? If that's not possible, how can you help the child find a permanency through adoption or a legal guardianship with a relative? So let's say grandma, aunt or uncle, et cetera. And only if that's not possible, you try to adopt them to someone else in the community. What I realized was, oh, like my sister's experience was a last resort. And there's actually all these other teams doing really important work too. Yeah. And I think the other thing, big thing I learned was everyone was doing things extremely manually. So there were huge stacks of paperwork, literally rooms of file cabinets of paperwork, messy Excel spreadsheets, sticky notes everywhere, shoe boxes of note cards. So people were doing things extremely manually and things were falling through the cracks. And there was just a lot of room for improvement. And I started to see ways that software could actually really empower social work and drive better outcomes for children. I love that. So did you start building the software? Do you code or were you hiring people for that? Yeah, I don't code, but yeah, I hired engineers to support me in that. And yeah, we started building out the first module and we've broken out child welfare into seven different teams that do different aspects of the work I was just mentioning. And we started, the first team we started with is the team that approves families to foster and adopt. And families prior to Binti were applying all on paper and it was really cumbersome and social workers were using 
some version of a 70-column Excel spreadsheet. Wow. So imagine thousands of rows of families in 70 columns of each form and background check, et cetera, That's you know, insane. for each family. Yeah. And so, and imagine sharing that spreadsheet across, you know, 20, 50 workers. So it's just really cumbersome. Families would fall through the cracks and cause delays. And so what we built is sort of like TurboTax to be a foster adoptive family. So families can apply online, they can apply on their phone, it can be in different languages. And then it's also software for the social workers to track all the families through the process, track the background checks they're running. They can do their social work on their mobile phone while they're out in the field. And it also has robust reporting for supervisors. And so we launched that It was January of 2017 when we launched with San Francisco County, which was our first customer. And we've grown pretty quickly with that product. So we're now in over 190 agencies in 27 states. We serve about 22% of the country with that product. And on average, agencies approve 80% more families a year, 16% faster. And we save 20 to 40% of social worker time. So we're making a real dent in the shortage of families. We've helped approve over 40,000 families. That's our first product and that's going well. And there's a lot we can, more we want to do there. But now we're working on, as I mentioned, there's seven teams. And so the next one we launched matches families with children and we're pretty widespread in that. And now we're getting into something that I'm really excited about, which is the team that's giving services to that family of origin that was struggling to help them get services to get their, to reunify with their kids. So that's the, the, the new area that we're building things right now. That's awesome. I mean, the work is amazing and and so meaningful. And it seems like what you're building, there's just so much room to grow. One thing that stuck out to me is you said you started with this one county, with this one product. Mm -hmm. This is B2B, essentially, kind of software. That is not an easy nut to crack when it comes to growing on your side. What were Mm -hmm. you doing to get to that second that 10th client, you know, like all, you know, all of those agencies, how are you growing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's super unique selling to government agencies, I think, to, you know, relative to other companies. And so what's interesting for us is we can either sell at the state level, or we can also sell at the county level, or there's private agencies that contract with the state. So there's kind of three types of customers. And what we started with counties. We started in California. So we started with San Francisco County. And actually, our first roughly 20 customers were all in California. We got like 20 counties in California before we even moved outside. Yeah. And the interesting thing about counties within a state is they actually talk to each other. Okay. They know each other. And they want to help each other, which I think is different than maybe businesses that like compete with each other. Yeah. So it's actually pretty helpful. And, um, you know, they go to conferences together. And so they were very supportive to be references, to invite me to the conferences they were going to and, and that kind of stuff in, in the beginning. Within states, that's a dynamic that's that's helpful is like just warm intros because they all know each other. But in our space, conferences are really important. There's a lot of conferences in child welfare around the country. There's conferences within states. There's conferences across the country. So we try to go to them. We try to speak at the conferences with our customers and kind of tell the story of, hey, we launched there. There was a shortage of families. Now there's a lot more families, you know, and just have them tell their success stories. How are you messaging that? Because this is a very, like you said, traditional, not tech-friendly kind of industry where there's like the boxes of papers and the crazy spreadsheets. So what kind of messaging are you sharing that really turns them into believers on what you're selling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really about 
driving an increase in families and a reduction in the time to approve families Mm -hmm. and saving social worker time. Because like I said, we have this acute shortage of families across the country. When there's a shortage of families, children have to be placed in group homes, which are institutional care, which statistically is so much worse for child outcomes. Like the rate of homelessness, incarceration, and other bad outcomes is just way worse if a child's placed in a group home than a family. And so agencies have a lot of urgency to get children and families out of group homes. And actually, the federal government instituted legislation that basically really hurts the funding of states if they have kids in group homes. So for a lot of reasons, states want more families. And we can come in and say, hey, we can help increase the number of families and we can help you approve them faster. And we've done it in all of these other places and you can talk to them. So that's our our biggest thing. Increasingly, there's a shortage of social workers. There's also really high social worker churn. We also talk about how we save time of social workers and we make their jobs better so they can spend more time with children and families and less time on paperwork and administrative work, which is some of what burns social workers out and, and makes them want to quit. Hey, it's Shauna here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours. Well, you clearly know the industry so well. I mean, those are really strong pain points to address, especially with a software. So what is happening with Binti's funding. What made you decide that you had to go out and get funding in the first place? Mm -hmm. It's hard to grow a team for a new product without having funding. In the early days, I raised a few hundred thousand pre-seed and then- And that was just you? Were you and a co-founder at that point? At the pre-seed, it was just me. Okay. When I raised the $2 million seed, we had a few, like three people on the team- and then again, we went back to one and then and then built back up. And then we ended up raising $1.5 from like inbound interest, like a little bit after the pivot. Yeah. And then we raised additional rounds after that. I actually haven't really announced our, our other funding. Um, we might in the future. Yeah. But we have raised additional funding. That's great. And yeah, I, I think that like even now, you know, we're making a lot of revenue from our first products. But we whenever you're building out new products without getting paid, it's really hard to fund that on your existing cash flow. So, yeah. you know, we're really widespread in our first two modules, but we're building out these new modules. Capital is really helpful to pay for product managers and engineers to be able to build that out before we were able to sell it. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, everybody has their different reasons for needing to get funding, but having the right people on the team at the right time so you can scale up is so important. How was that experience for you? We hear all the time, you know, only 2% of VC dollars are going towards women. You already had these connections at Funders Club. What was the fundraising experience like? Did you find that you were getting to the right investors or was that hard? What was it like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a topic I care a lot about. My fundraising experiences have all been extremely fast and smooth. I do think fundraising is a strength of mine. 
I do think that being at Funders Club was a huge advantage because I got to watch so many founders pitch us. Mm -hmm. And so I just got to see like what's a good pitch, what's not a good pitch. I had really good pattern recognition for that. So that helped a lot. And then I had a good investor and founder network, which helped a lot. But yeah, I would say my experience with fundraising has been extremely smooth. I've raised each all of our rounds within a matter of weeks and have been oversubscribed and all and all of that kind of stuff. I definitely have observed, I think, when I was at Funders Club, as well as just being in Silicon Valley the last roughly 10 years, I've definitely seen how women struggled to raise with a similar level of traction to men. Yeah. And so I started kind of on the side, just coaching women on their pitch. And, you know, I think that statistically, like there's research that shows that women underestimate their abilities and men overestimate their abilities. Right. And that's like a really critical thing when you're pitching, you know, because basically investors are investing based on your confidence level. Uh That's kind of one of the main, you know, and I'm hopeful that over time, we can all calibrate to just different ways of communicating mm-hmm. and Important. women don't need to kind of calibrate themselves to how, how men talk. But in the interim, it's like you kind of need to, to be successful fundraising. So yeah. So on the, t- on the side, I started helping women with their pitch. And then I'm not sure if you're familiar with all raise the nonprofit yeah. that yeah focuses on helping getting, get more women into VC and into uh, starting companies, but I I was the first woman founder to be part of All Raise. There was a group of thirty women VCs that started it, and then I was starting this group of women founders to coach other women founders on pitching. And then I uh-huh. met the All Raise folks, and we kind of merged that group into All Raise, and it it formed Female Founder Office Hours. And we've given over a thousand like pitch practices to, to women. We have a network of hundreds of women founders that give pitch practice to women. And then we've also helped introduce them to investors. And I also co-founded like a, a seed boot camp for women where we have speakers, both investors and founders talking about how to raise around. And we've had hundreds of women go through that. So that's kind of my biggest side hustle. That's a and, pretty and big was, side hustle. <laughs> I know. I know. There was a time where I was spending probably 10 to 15 hours a week on this. Yeah. On top of it got to the point where I was like, I need to make sure I make Binti successful. That's like the number one thing I can do to help future women founders is like be a good example of a successful woman well, CEO. You're also an angel investor, right? So you're kind of, are you helping future female founders by investing in up and coming companies as well? I am. Yeah. I love angel investing. I think from being at the funders club side, I got like a taste of that. And then as I started to have more liquidity myself, I'm also a Sequoia scout. So so, like Sequoia gives money and then I I can help invest it. I started probably three years ago and I've invested in about 30 startups. That's so cool. That's a lot of startups in three years. I know. I know. It's so fun. And I would say of the 30, probably 27 are women, (laughs) women led. Wow. Just, just because that's, you know, I'm so plugged into the, the female founder community through, through all raise and through other things. So right. I just meet a lot of amazing women and then I want to invest in them. I love that. I love to hear that. It's a hard process to go through, especially if you've never done it before. You know, you may think that your pitch is great. You may think that you're pitching to all the right investors, but it sometimes takes that warm introduction or finding the right groups to get yourself in front of. So just all the work that you're doing to, to support women in this, I think is amazing. So if you had to tell me one growth strategy for, you know, how you've been really successful with Binti, what do you think it would be? I think 
talking to our customers and understanding how they learn about things and like, what conferences do you go to? What do you read? Yeah. What newsletters are you on? And then just getting into all of those things. <laughs> and it's different state by state, you know, like in, in one state, there's like, oh, there's this newsletter we all get. Oh, great. Can you introduce me to that person? And then we'll, you know, like get get in there and include a webinar or, oh, we all go to this conference. Oh, great. Let's go. And can you speak on a panel with us? Oh, so awesome. just asking them where they learn about things and what they do, because people similar to them do the same thing. And then also asking for warm intros. I mean, that was the main way that we spread early on was just like, oh, San Francisco, do you know the folks in Marin and Alameda and San Mateo, like the neighboring counties? They'd be like, oh yeah, I know Susie over there. Oh, awesome. Can we (laughs) hop on a quick call and can we all talk about it? And leveraging warm intros was the best thing early it's amazing, like when you kind of build up the courage to to ask someone for something like that. It's amazing how readily people really are willing to support you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to, to make an intro, to get on the phone call, to be a character reference, and mm-hmm. it, it's amazing to see if you just kind of get the courage up to make the initial ask. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you my big question: What does being a startup renegade mean to you? Being a startup renegade means to me working on what you're most passionate about because I think that you'll be the most powerful if you're working on what you're really passionate about. You know, had my experience where things weren't working and I had to let go of the team and we had to pivot. What really helped me get through that was I care so much about this problem and I just really, really wanted to solve it. And I think if it was a problem I cared less about, I would have quit. Yeah, And I think that sometimes people start companies or they're like, oh, I, I have this idea to make a, a, like, you know, money quickly, or I can just flip this to Facebook or something. Right. And that's just, ultimately, it's not that inspiring. And if things get hard, it's, you know, you're probably going to move on to something else. So I think the founders I'm most inspired by are ones that they're just working on a problem that they care so much about. So I feel so lucky that I'm working on the problem that I care so much about. I'm so excited that you're solving this problem. It's a big one and it it creates a lot of impact. So where can everyone find you online? Yeah, you can learn more about us at binti.com, B-I-N-T-I.com. And we're hiring a ton right now. We're 65 people and we're looking to be 140 in the next 12 months. So please refer talented, passionate uh, people to us. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for being here, Felicia. Thank you for having me. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade.